Well, it is July 4th weekend, and as I said, I had no idea how many people were going to be here. We were invited over with some friends to a concert in Marietta Square. I guess the last Friday of each month, they do like a concert on the square. Um, this guy's been inviting me for 10 years, and we actually went, so my schedule's been a little crazy, but hopefully not that crazy. But one of the things is we were driving over there. I thought, oh, it's going to be awful going over there because it's Friday night, Atlanta. We're going from Johns Creek to Marietta. We got in the car, and I thought, Google Maps must be wrong because it's saying it's only going to take like 30 minutes. We drove over there. There was no traffic at all, and I'm convinced that 50% of Atlanta is out of town. They took advantage of this weekend to say, well, if I skip work on Friday, and then Monday, do you work Monday or not? I mean, July 4th is on a Tuesday. So everybody's out of town, had no idea how many people are going to be here. Um, and on top of that, you have this big wedding weekend. We have the stocks wedding. We have the knight's wedding. And there's all these other activities going on. So thank you so much for being here. It means a lot to me to look out there and not just be preaching to Cindy this morning. So I'm very <laughs> grateful. Uh, even Jeff uh, and his family, they're doing a well-deserved vacation. They got getting away for the next couple of weeks. And you may or may not care about this, but their dog Scruffy is staying with our house. So I spent the night with Scruffy last night. It was great. Scruffy's really chill, uh, as Jeff has always described Scruffy. So um, we're happy to take care of Scruffy. He made a little noise in the middle of the night, and I think he just wanted to know that we're still there. I got up this morning, and he didn't get up. He just wagged his tail. It hit the side of the wall or whatever, rubbed him on his belly. But anyway, that's what's going on at my house. <laughs> so we're going to take a couple of weeks here uh, as we finished up our series on obedience over the last couple of months. We're going to take a couple of weeks as Jeff is gone, and we're going to do two weeks on what I'm calling some life skills. So today we're going to look at the life skill of work. What does the Bible, what does scripture have to say about work? And next week we're going to talk about family. And as part of that next week, I am actually going to bring up Bob and Luke Albee to come up and I'm going to be interviewing them about parenting, grandparenting and all that. So you want to make sure that you're here for that as well. But before we get started, so we did a bunch of hymns today. And Margo, you're, you're welcome. Yes, for Mary... <laughs> Happy 4th of July. <laughs> we did a lot of hymns. We're talking about work, so I couldn't resist. I had to share with you some favorite hymns of different occupations. Okay, so we're talking about work. So if you're a dentist, what is your favorite hymn? Crown him with many crowns. Okay. If you're a contractor, any idea? The church's one foundation. Okay. Here's a good one. A baker. I need thee every hour. <laughs> if you're a tailor, holy, holy, holy. Okay. An elementary school teacher, be still and know. And finally, a professional baseball player. This is my favorite. Seek ye first. Okay. That has nothing to do with anything other than I just wanted to tie in what we're doing this morning. But today we're going to be talking about work, about a basic life skill of work and what scripture teaches us about work. In 2021, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, over 47 million people quit their jobs. This was an unprecedented mass exit from the workforce spurred on by COVID and it's now widely referred to as, we call it the great resignation. 47 million people. But now the new trend is something called quiet quitting. Has anybody heard that term before? Quiet quitting is a term that says, rather than quitting my job, I'm just gonna go into work and I'm gonna do the least amount possible to not get fired. So I don't have any satisfaction with my work. I'm dissatisfied with my work. I don't like what I'm doing. So I'm going to do the very bare minimum. Now Gallup says that quiet quitters make up about 50% of our workforce today. Mark Twain was quoted as saying that work is a necessary evil to be avoided. So we have the great resignation. We have quiet quitting. We have this necessary evil 
how should we think about working? You know, for most of us, we're gonna spend a majority of our living hours doing work. Uh, I wanna give you an example for this. So say somebody works from ages 25 to 65. So let's look at like the, the spiritual life of this person. So we're gonna say this is a super Christian, okay? So this super Christian spiritual life, let's say on Sundays they go to church for like three hours or so uh, because you come to the worship service and you go to the Bible studies and everything. Uh, they're in a community group, so like two hours a week in community groups and they spend time in the word every day. They do their Bible reading plan and they have daily devotionals. So between the three on Sunday community groups and quiet times of like three hours, like eight hours a week, okay? They never miss a day, eight hours times 52 weeks times 40 years, which is the 25 through 36. That would be 16,640 meaningful hours in their life where you're doing spiritual things, okay? But what about work? How much time do we spend in work? Well, let's say you work a 40-hour work week, which most people do, and let's say 48, hour, or 48 weeks a year, because you take a couple of weeks off for vacation or you're sick or whatever. Um, so 40 hours times 48 weeks times 40 years, 70 thick, I'm sorry, 76. Let's do this again. I'm gonna go off on a tangent, I'm gonna pull back. 76,800 hours of our lives are spent in the workplace of a typical person. So are all these hours just wasted? I mean, we have our spiritual time, but yet we have this necessary evil of our work time. Is this just like a wasted time? Is it just something that, as Mark Twain said, it's just necessary evil? Or should we be thinking about work a little bit differently? So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. Should be easy to find. Uh, there's Bibles in front of you and I'll be, we'll be reading the entire chapter. We'll be pulling from Genesis chapter one, two, and three this morning, but I'm gonna start out by just reading Genesis chapter one. Genesis one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. 
And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has a breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God works, right? God works. Work from God's perspective is not this necessary evil, but it's something that he obviously took pleasure in doing. It, we see this, this pattern here in these verses from verse 3 on down where he said, let there be light. There was light, God, said, God saw that it was good. He talks about the water, the land, the vegetation. After all these things, you see this pattern of God worked, God worked, God worked. God saw what he had made and he said that this was good. And we're really glad that God does work, does work aren't we? Because if he had not made creation, where would we be? We wouldn't, we would be not. I mean, so we're really glad that God enjoys his work and he gets enjoyment from his work. So God works and God enjoys the act of working. He enjoys the fruit of his works. And I think there's something in us that we really do enjoy doing a good job on something. Um, you know, when we moved into our house over in Johns Creek, this was, um, you know, you've heard of like BC as like before Christ, AD, you know, after um, this is BD before the deer moved into my neighborhood. Um, I really got really big into gardening and I loved gardening. We have a decent amount of property and I've got my grass, my zoysia here and I just loved having it perfect. I had a son who was a teenager and so I employed him to work with me. He would mow the yard, I would edge, I would weed. I had like all these perennial beds, you know, different areas where everything was, was just beautiful. And I remember on Saturdays, I looked forward to going and tending the garden and we would make everything look great. And I'd go out in the street and I'd just stand there and look at it and say, oh, this is really, really good. And then the demon deer from hell showed up. And, but anyway, so there was the fall of in my, in my neighborhood, they all showed up. But, but we do, we enjoy, just as God, we enjoy working. God enjoys working. It's good. What he did was good. What he sees was good. God rejoices in his work. So I think we can all agree that from God's perspective, work is not a necessary evil. God is not evil, so he's not going to be doing evil. God works and creation makes God's goodness and other attributes visible. Without the work, we wouldn't know anything about God because we wouldn't even be here. And Creation allows God's attributes to become visible. God works, work is good, and God gave us work as part of a perfect creation. We had a job before the fall. Work was not something that, okay, you've sinned against me, now you have to work. No, it was in our job description at the very beginning. God created male and female in his image. As image bearers of God, as God works, we also work. God gave us this, this job at the very beginning. We worked in paradise. It wasn't a result of the fall. It was pre-fall. It says in verse 128, he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the seas, over the entire earth. 
He says, I've given you every plant yielding seed and every tree with seed, 2.5. We were created to work the ground, 2.15. We were to work and keep the Garden of Eden. Paradise is not inactivity. It includes work and responsibility. Work is good. God did not create a race of Jabba the Huts who just sit there and consume and consume and consume. He created us in his image and we were giving work as part of our, part of being in paradise. It was good. So I thought about this, like when you start a new job, like you get a job description, right? We all, we all go into the HR department, here's your job description. I thought, what would it have looked like if God would have written a job description for a human? So I wrote one right here. So job description, human, department, creation, reports to God, location, earth. Job summary, as a human, you have been divinely created by God to be his image bearers on earth and beyond. You were given executive level dominion over everything on the planet. Team, you will accomplish these tasks as male and female in a relationship so close and intimate that you will be considered one flesh. Through this relationship, you will multiply the human race, ultimately inhabiting the entire planet. Responsibilities. One, maintain a strong relationship with God, doing all things under his ultimate authority. Two, ensure that all humans fulfill the, fill the earth through multiplication. Three, name and classify all living creatures. Note, please do not taste. Four, that was post-fall. You'll get that later. Four, name, cultivate all plants and trees. Five, maintain and continue to beautify the garden called Eden. Work hours. Six days of work, one day of rest, special regulation. You may eat from every edible plant and fruit tree on the planet except for one. Under no circumstances are you to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Doing so will surely result in death. Compensation, an intimate relationship with your creator, eternal life, pretty much everything you could dream of. It sounds like a pretty good job, doesn't it? Doesn't this sound great? Well, I'm so glad that nothing ever happened to take us out of that. So in the beginning, work was a part of being in paradise. It wasn't a curse. It was part of who we were created to be as image bearers of God. But unfortunately, even though it was literally a paradise, we wanted more. We took the focus off of living for God under his authority and we focus on our own desires. If you look over at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. In my very small print Bible. It says, so, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So there were three things at work here. We had this perfect situation. We were in paradise, the best job description ever, best benefits ever, but we said, no, lust of the flesh, that we perceive that that's gonna taste good. Lust of the eyes. We see that that fruit really looks good. It's pleasing to the eyes boastful pride of life. We doubted that God, does he really want the best for us? We think he's maybe holding something back from us and we wanted to take control. We, we, did not, we did not want God. We did not want to do what God told us to do. So we did the one thing that we were told not to do. Think about it. There was only one thing that he said not to do. Don't eat of that fruit. And we did it. We took our job description and we said, nope, this is what I'm going to do. And as a result of our rebellion, our rebellion, our work then became much more difficult. Our special relationship with God was severed. We died spiritually. The task of multiplying and fulfilling the earth, filling the earth would be filled with pain and suffering. Our bent toward rebelling would be passed on to our children. The task of cultivating the earth would become much more difficult. Suddenly there's thorns and vines and all these things, work became difficult. And ultimately, our bodies would wear out and we would physically die. 
Work became this necessary evil and our motives for working have been corruptive. Without God at the center, our work has become driven by more selfish desires, like the lust of the eyes. I want more things. I work because I want a nicer house or a nicer car or nicer furniture or more toys or more technology. Work is a necessary evil for me to collect more stuff. Lust of the flesh, I want more experiences. I work, work just gets in the way of my real life, but rather than finding joy and satisfaction in my work, work is a burden, it's only a means to an end. I work only the absolute minimum that I have to so I can go on vacation. Work is a necessary evil so I can do what I really wanna do or the boastful pride of life. I wanna excel so I can get more recognition. I wanna climb the corporate ladder so that people will recognize me more. I wanna be the boss, I wanna tell people what to do. I have worry and fear, I'm on my own, I have to provide for myself, I don't know what I'm gonna do in, in retirement. Work is a necessary evil for me to gain self-worth and to meet all of my needs. But without God at the center of our lives, work is a necessary evil, simply a means to getting what we want, but with God, at the center of our lives, we can restore work to what it used to be, what it was at the very beginning. You know, work is not an interruption to our spiritual life. Work is a manifestation of our spiritual life. It's a visit, it's a, it makes our spiritual life visible. What happens in our quiet times comes out during our work hours. It's a manifestation of our spiritual life. Work gives us an opportunity to apply what we're learning from scripture, what we're learning from church to our daily lives. So we need to put God back at the center of our lives. We need to put him back on the throne of our lives and put work back as a holy calling under his authority. Now, this is the word of Tim here, okay? So I'm gonna kind of step out here a little bit. I'm gonna give you like four, I guess, frameworks. I'm not sure what to call these, but four kind of ways of thinking about work that I think help us to move back toward restoring it back to what it was originally planned to be. So the first word is restoration. We need to restore God to his rightful place as the center of our work. And to do this, we need to, we need to understand something, that all life is sacred. There's no segregation between my spiritual life and my other life, okay? My, what I do on Monday morning can be just as sacred and holy about what I'm doing on Sunday mornings, amen? There's no vocation that necessarily, if it's done with the right motives, is any more holy than other, other vocations. Being a software engineer, um, being a nurse, being a financial advisor can be just as holy as being a pastor. Well, maybe not, because I, this is pretty holy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but. Your emails are just as holy as my emails, okay? It's all a matter of how are we approaching work? Am I taking my job and I'm saying I'm putting under the lordship of God and I'm doing it for his glory and working for him and not for my selfish desires. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3.23-24 Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So we need to restore work back to its rightful place as an offering of worship to God. Now, this is not easy to do. It's not like a one and done. I'm just gonna like, okay, I'm gonna do that. But it, it's something that we can practice at. Now, I've shared with a lot of you before, if you know me, you know that my habit in my prayer time is I pray through the structure of the Lord's Prayer every day. And one of the reasons that I do that is, one, it keeps me on track so I'm not rambling with, with God. It gives me a good launching point. But it also helps me to realign my life under his authority and under his purposes because it starts out our father in heaven hallowed is your name holy is your name i remind myself every morning that god is holy he is above me there's an org chart and, I, and he does not report to me i report to him i'm under his authority and my life is an offering of worship but then it says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven 
Rather than saying, God, here's my priorities, here's what I want in my life, I want you to do these things for me, I say, Lord, make your priorities my priorities. May your kingdom come. What does that look like today in my job, in my career, with my family? What does it look like for me to live out your kingdom in my life today? So I restore God as being Lord of my life, and that's been a great practice for me just daily to remind myself of that. That, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor, but, but honestly, a lot of the work that I do, I'm on my computer, uh, I'm doing emails, we're, we're, we're programming, getting things ready for services, we're meeting with, with people. We do, I'm doing the same things you guys are doing. All of us can live holy callings if we put it under the authority of God and we say, I am doing this for the glory of God and for his kingdom. So there's restoration. There's also this idea of calling, this framework of calling. We, we, all are, we all are called to work, but God has given us each unique gifts and abilities and skills. We're all different. I'm really glad that, uh, like, I'm glad Jeff and I are so different. Um, Jeff and I are totally different, and I love working him because we balance each other a lot. You know, Jeff loves to spend hours in the week preparing for the messages. He loves teaching. He doesn't like to do the administrative stuff or all that stuff. I love doing all that stuff. And so we complement each other. Um, Frederick Beekner said that God calls you to the place where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest hungers meet. Each of us are designed uniquely with different skills and abilities and passions. And one of the keys to being satisfied in work is to find a job where, well, I can really exercise what I'm really, really good at right here. Now, I want to say this. I've worked a lot of different jobs in my life, and I think no matter what you do, you can find some joy and some satisfaction into whatever you're doing. I've been a computer programmer. I've been a sales guy. I've been in nocturnal pharmaceutical sales. See if anybody caught that. I've done a lot of careers and everything, but I do it. Well, I didn't do the pharmaceutical sales under the authority of God, but, but everything, you can find joy and satisfaction. But I made a major career shift about 20, I don't know, what's it been, like 25 years ago now. I was 14 years in the software development industry, doing great. I enjoyed doing that. But then I thought, am, am I really in my sweet spot of where I need to be? And I had all these training in musical, music stuff. I really like worship and everything. And so I thought, well, maybe at some point, Lord, I'll go into some kind of music ministry. And once I opened the door for that, it happened. And I do feel like I'm in my sweet spot. Um, my friend Crawford Lorette says that there's many things that you can do, but only a few things that you should do. That, that there are things that you can do that you are uniquely gifted by God that you do easily that other people have to struggle at. Jeff putting together a message, it comes so easily to him. It just like flows out. Do you know how much I've been struggling and worrying about this this, this week? I mean, it's ruined my week, amen? So, uh, <laughs> and I've really been careful not to have it ruin Cindy's week too. So um, I took Friday, Friday off and it's like, no, I'm not gonna worry about that. But each of us are wired by God for different ways. And so part of living out life and part of work is finding what's that career path, what's that venue where I'm really uniquely gifted and I can offer these gifts and talents that God has given me back up to him. So there's restoration, there's calling, and there's mission. We always need to have this perspective that all of us are in full-time missions, that we're not working just to get our own needs met, but we are working to represent Christ in the workplace. So that means the way that I work. It means that I want to be the best employee possible. I do want to go above, above and beyond within reason. I want to pursue excellence in my workplace for the glory of God because I'm working for him. How do I bless others in the workplace? You know, it doesn't mean we have to like share the gospel every, every day with everybody, but we're representing Christ in the workplace and we need to look different and need to act differently than anyone else. So there's this whole idea of mission that 
Work is not just something that I do, but it's something I'm called by God to go out and live on mission to take the Great Commission to the world. And then the fourth thing I want to say here is, is rest. That we need, to, in, we need to be sure that we don't neglect this idea of the Sabbath. Part of our original job description was basically that we take a day off. Now, I have to tell you, I struggle with this, especially when my day off, I'm not sure if you really call it a day off when your grandkids are at the house and like you end up at the end of the day, you're like really, really tired. Maybe it is, but, but I do try to carve out times where I restore myself. And for me, resting isn't like necessarily laying on the floor exhausted, but it's going for a long run. I love going outside on Saturday mornings, doing long runs and like meditating and listen, listen to worship. But we need to build those rhythms into our work where we are resting once a week. And also we have periods of Sabbath where we get away for a long time. Um, before I left the workplace has been, I, I, I confess I haven't done it for a long time, but one of the best things we used to do is we used to take a two-week vacation. We'd go to Hilton Head, not for one week, but for two weeks, because what we found, if you go off to the beach for one week, you know, you arrive on Saturday, you check in at four o'clock, and then you're kind of like, oh, I have to squeeze in all these things because we have to check out again this next Friday or, or Saturday. You don't really get that deep rest. But we started doing a thing where, let's go for two weeks. And it's like the stress level would automatically go down. It was a wonder, wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, some people say that we don't rest from work, we work from rest. We need those times of seasons in our lives where we get this deep rest, where we're energized to go back and to, and to do our work. So those are just like four frameworks that from Tim's brain that I think are biblical, that hopefully are helpful for you. But I'm not the ultimate authority about this. So I've asked Larry Heron and Eric Svensson, a couple of our elders, to come up. And I'm going to ask them a few questions about work. So as they're coming up, so there's not an awkward silence, let's go ahead and give them a big hand. <laughs> It's a microphone for each of you, but there's only one message today, so thanks guys for being here. I had to leave the singing anyway. Yeah, so. you're here anyway, so well, thanks Eric for you coming in today, appreciate that. Sure, <laughs> got me out of the garden. Yeah, there you go. So I wanted everybody to just get, not, not just my perspective, because, you know, I, I am skewed. I'm a pastor, okay? So that's kind of a weird occupation. Um, but I wanted these guys to tell a little bit about, tell us about your career, uh, what you're currently employed to do, and what that looks like. So, um, Eric, let's, let's start with you. Sure. So my career, um, I'll just say I, I thank God for every opportunity he has given me. And I see my career as the career that he has given me, not the career that I've chosen. If you were to ask the same thing of Joseph, so tell me about your careers. Like, what do you mean? It's like, God orchestrated all these things, and I ended up being number two in Egypt. So for me, God has orchestrated step-by-step -step job, jobs along the way that have uh, given me opportunity to, to reflect him in the way that you have talked about and in the excellence of the work that I've done and God has honored that so uh, as far as what I do I'm an environmental epidemiologist so everyone knows what that is right an environmental epidemiologist yeah can we yeah. all say that environmental epidemiologist Eric what is an environmental epidemiologist well funny you should ask so uh, I have the fantastic job of uh, having the expertise, skills, opportunity to be able to help uh, and study and to minister to communities who've gone through an epidemic of some health outcome associated with an exposure to a hazardous environment around them. Anything like this happened in the last few years that you've been uh, involved with? Well, lately, it's the uh, wildfire smoke, um, heat domes, hurricanes, uh, chemical mm. disasters, things like that. Okay. Uh, 
Okay. Larry, how about you? Tell us about your current employment and kind of how you got where you are. So I work for hospice. I'm a hospice. I, I wear two hats for hospice. I'm a hospice chaplain, and I'm also a certified music practitioner. I do sound therapy using elements of music to help our patients to relax and stabilize. It's called, in the business, it's called a non-pharmacological complementary intervention. What I do with sound complements what the nurses do with medication. And um, so those are my two jobs. My path to my job is, to my job is very much like what Eric said. Um, God has woven a path for me, and, and I'm in my sweet spot. And it's kind of funny. People go, oh, you, one lady said, you work in hospice? You must not have any fun. And I just had to laugh because I just thought, you have no idea the, the treasures that I get to enjoy and the people that I meet. Um, Friday, I was with a 92-year-old lady, and we were just laughing. It was just, it was just wonderful. But uh, so, yeah, I'm a chaplain, and I do therapeutic music. Okay. How does being a Christ follower impact your work? What, is it, what does that look like? How do you bring, or how do... How is being a Christ follower making you different in the workplace? Tell us a little bit about that. It goes back to why we do what we do. We recognize that we serve God first and foremost. He has put us in that position. He has given us this job, so we work for him. I'm glad you brought up those Colossians passages because that's really what has framed my thinking over the years. And so as a Christ follower, I am serving him. So I need to do my best mm. to honor him. And fortunately, in the world we live around, if you do ec excellent work, you tend to have that get honored. But uh, that's where my focus has been, is to honor him through it. Where a lot of folks, it's just, what do I have to do to get ahead? Um, mm -hmm. I'm serving God first and foremost. Mm. And if God honors that through moving me along in different ways, then so be it. But I would just first and foremost want to make him happy. Mm -hmm. I think you, when we were talking about this last week, you had mentioned you look at Daniel as one of your examples of someone who, because he honored God first, because he put God first, that he excelled in his workplace. He became like, like the top, but he wasn't seeking that, as you said, he was seeking God, and then God honored him in the workplace. Yeah, and, and even Nehemiah, we just went through the series with uh, going through Ezra, Nehemiah, mm -hmm. and Haggai. And, you know, Nehemiah was a servant to the king, mm -hmm. and then he got, had an opportunity to beseech him, and it was all based upon the pattern of excellence and how, what he did in his work as a servant to the king, where he responded and gave him the opportunity to go back to Israel. Mm -hmm. That's good. Larry, how about you? How do you bring your faith into the workplace? So I work for a very unique hospice company. Our, the owner of our company is an elder at Perimeter Church. And on our website, you'll see the first thing listed in core of values is faith. And he says very clearly in a video at the beginning uh, on, the, on the website that uh, we're a faith-based company. And I haven't seen this in there, but I've heard him say that what we do is, first of all, primarily spiritual in nature. Um, so there's an understanding in our company that, yeah, you, you can pray in Jesus' name. And uh, every Tuesday morning, we have a staff devotional, and it's given by one of the eight chaplains. And uh, our eight chaplains are pretty much all followers of Jesus, and so they end the prayer and end the devotional in Jesus' name. So, and we have a number of uh, nurses and social workers that are followers of Jesus. Um, there are times when the nurses will pray with the patients too, uh, just because they have a relationship with them that they're, they feel free to do that. Not all of our employees are believers, but there's just that understanding that this is our culture, and so their work ends up being very compatible with that. Mm -hmm. Eric, you mentioned that um, something about not working just for yourself, but doing it for God. Can you kind of contrast um, 
in the workplace, do you see any differences between Christ followers and, and people who don't follow Jesus in the workplace? What does that look like? And tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes. So some of that is, I, I mentioned it a little bit previously, where folks are trying to get ahead in their career for all the reasons you talked about mm-hmm. before, uh, for selfish, self-serving reasons. Uh, I'm now in the government, so we all are there to serve the government too, so we recognize we could be doing better in corporate industry, but we're there for a different mission there too. But even in that, uh, folks are still focused on not just serving the country well, but serving themselves well. Mm -hmm. And and then also um, having a a framework and a kind of self-imposed accountability where if you don't have that accountability to God where you're not serving him, then you, you can be somewhat unhinged and lost in, in your decision-making and not understanding what should I do here, what should I do there, where if you're under the framework of I'm serving the Lord first and foremost in everything I do, that helps you mm-hmm. understand this is the best thing now. Mm-hmm. Larry, any comments about that? Do you see any difference between, I mean, I'm sure they're all wonderful people who are working in this, in this business, but is there any difference between the Christ followers and people who are of other faiths that you've noticed? You know, I've, I've been thinking about that question this week, and um, I don't see a lot of difference because, again, the culture is such that, um, you know, first of all, we're there to serve patients and, and serve families. And so everyone has that service mentality. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we're not in competition. And we're all over Atlanta. We're, we're, we don't have a, an inpatient unit. We're in people's homes. We're in uh, adult living facilities. So we're all over the place, and we're, we're spread out. So there's not really an opportunity to see if there's some sort of competitive, competitiveness. or um, It's just it, it's a good company. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's very similar. Yeah, I guess by just the nature of your business, you're coming there to serve other people. So you don't see it as much as you might like in, in Wall Street or something like that. Right. Yeah. So open mic, you're not open mic here. Uh, it's just, that's too scary. We'll be here for days. But for you guys, what would you like to say, words of encouragement to our congregation? There's a couple elders here of the church about this whole thing of working, uh, whatever you would like to say to the congregation about work and well i'll just go back to some things i learned going back to those colossians passages back when i was still a teenager and i was working in manufacturing so okay well how can you honor god when you're just making stuff Uh, well i was in a fortunate situation where i was working in a company that we were yes we were producing things but the owner of the company was a christian and every one that i worked with was a christian and so we would have messages on in the background and then Christian music. And, and then sometimes we would get into these theological debates and, and discussions, and we'd get distracted. And we weren't as efficient at what we were doing. Hmm. And our boss just had to come in and say, yeah, this is great that you were able to talk about this stuff, but your, your job is to make this stuff. And you can have that discussion another time. But first and foremost, we need to get these orders filled and get going. And it's like your number one job in serving God is not to talk about all this stuff. It's not to proselytize. Your number one job is to do this well in in honor of God. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, boom. And then we just shifted. And then everything shifted. And uh, we just started cranking things out. The business got doing better. We all were focused on honoring God in our work that way in excellence. And so I would say, make sure that that's the number one priority. You're you're serving God. And you do that by doing your work, whatever it might be, to his honor and in your best possible work that you can possibly do. Mm -hmm. Amen. Larry? Yeah, I've got three things. And then I want to share a little of a a personal situation and and a specific situation in my work job. So I would say, number one, look for opportunities to be pushed out of your comfort zone. Nobody has moved out of his comfort zone more than Jesus did, so don't even try to go there. 
But be prepared to move out of your comfort zone. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. But also be ready with an answer, which is what Scripture tells us both of those things to do, three of those things to do. Um, so one of my patients that I had, um, she had ALS. She was in her early 60s. And um, when I met her, she was totally, she had no ability to move. She had a computer that was, was um, she would use her eyes. It, it would track her, her eye movement and she would communicate that way. Um, she not only suffered from ALS, but she suffered along the way from poor, uh, poor care. One time she was in her van, they had not, they had not secured her in the van as they should have. And so when the driver put on the brakes, the van rolled forward, broke both of her ankles, and she hit her head because she couldn't, she couldn't do anything about it. Another time, uh, they were transferring her. They didn't realize that her shoulder was an, at an awkward angle, angle and uh, either dislocated it or broke it. I forget which it was. But um, so... Um, I spent time with her. I was not, actually, I was not her assigned chaplain. The nurse asked me to go and do therapeutic music with her, and so I went every week. She, in, in, even in the midst of this, though, she had a strong faith. As her body was weakening, her faith was strong, and she had an amazing sense of humor. When she had to go to tube feeding um, on her first meal, um, her son Chad um, poured it in the tube, and then she spelled out on her computer screen, yum. <laughs> she was an amazing lady. But, Chad, and how old were you when you first started caring for your mom? 25 years of age. Sole caregiver for his mother, watching her progress and decline. And so, after she, after she passed away, Chad came to me, and, and he was devastated. Uh, why? Why is always the first question. Why would God do this to my mom? She was such a good lady. She was one of the, uh, she was in the first graduating class of uh, women that graduated from West Point. Her dad was a West Point grad. Her brothers were West Point grads. She was an amazing lady. And so Chad and I began spending time together. And Chad and his wife, Elizabeth, are here this morning. And so he and I have been in Bible study every week, prayer and Bible study, just going through Scripture and getting a perspective to see who God is, how this fits in with, with life. And um, it's been a huge blessing for me. But, yeah, it's an uncomfortable place to be in. It's it's. Death is just horrible. It's awful. But God is still good, and he still accomplishes his will. So look for opportunities. They're not going to be like mine, but look for opportunities to be out of your comfort zone, to be quick to listen and slow to speak, and to be ready with an answer at the right time. Amen. Thanks, guys. Let's thank these guys for being up here today. So we were created in the image of God. God works. Work is good. It's a pre-fall task that he's given us. As image bearers, we work as God works. We rebelled against God. Our relationship with him was severed. Work became a toil and it became much more difficult. But although we tried to cover ourselves with leaves coming from plants that we cultivated, we've tried to cover our sins by our own works. God himself covered our nakedness, our sin, by shedding blood and covering us with the sins of animals, a foreshadowing of the ultimate covering of our sins, the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. So the way to restoration is open for us to restore our relationship to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we take time each week to remember 
the sacrifice of Christ for our sins so that our relationship can be restored as we go into communion. God has restored our relationship with him through the sacrifice of Christ. And we're gonna celebrate communion here in just a second. Let me tell you a little bit of the ground rules here. Uh, Here at Dunwoody Community Church, we practice what's called open communion, meaning anyone who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to join us in this. Um, So I'm gonna pray for us a little bit. And then there are some tables set up at the four corners of the the sanctuary. There's some gluten-free over here if you need that. And uh, after I pray, I'm going to the piano. You guys take time, prepare your hearts. Think about what the Lord has spoken to you today, if he said anything to you at at all. Uh, If there's any unconfessed sin in your life, go ahead and do that. And when you feel led, go ahead and come on up. Grab the elements, take them back to your seat, and then uh, Larry's going to come up, lead us in taking the elements, and we're going to sing two more songs and go home for the weekend, okay? So let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that you are the creator. You are our creator. We have life. We have breath. We exist for you and for your glory. And Lord, you are a worker, and your work is good. Your creation, when you've, you looked at it, you said this was very good. And Lord, we disobeyed. We corrupted not only our relationship with you, but somehow it spread into the entire creation. We don't understand all that, and it spread from generation to generation. And we are born as people who have this nature that is sinful and corrupt. But Lord, we thank you that you have restored this relationship, that you have taken what we could not do, that we cannot live this perfect life and attain your favor, but you lived a perfect life when you came to earth as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and you took our punishment on you, and we exchanged that by trusting in you. You took our sin, we take your righteousness, so we can be restored back to that original state, Lord. So we remember that, we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that as we go into this time of remembering you through taking communion together, that you would speak to each one of us and your name would be lifted up. And I pray that tomorrow morning, all of us would have this perspective that what we are doing today is as holy as what we did yesterday in church and that all of life would be given to you as an offering, our offering of worship. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.